Welcome back to the most accurate podcast here at 4 for 4 Football. As always, I am your host, John Daigle, and a very special guest today, just three weeks ahead of the NFL draft. Good friend in life, someone who swears he had a scuba diving trip booked to Malaysia before he won $2 million, <laughs> and of course, the winner of Best Ball Mania 3, none other than legendary Upside's own Pat Corrine. Pat, what I want to actually ask you first is, what was the biggest hangup in creating your own business after spinning off from NBC and Roto World? Because I would imagine, having seen your thumbnail creations in the past, there had to be at least some issues ahead of building your own company. Yeah, well, it's all it's all the visual stuff. So I, I had a guy uh, working for me to develop some of the graphics and everything that I'm using, uh, you know, various logos and, and all of that. And I'm still... Because I, I do kind of have a like a taste for this sort of thing, but I just can't do it all. So like I'm aware that the thumbnails I create look terrible. I just can't do better. <laughs> so if someone else was making them, I'd have a lot of notes. And that's kind of that process has been ongoing. So if if you've noticed, careful observers will note that the logos have sort of slightly changed over time uh, as I as I've sent out newsletter posts because I'm kind of ad adjusting as we go. Um, but also like the YouTube thumbnails, I do think it's going to be a, an ongoing problem. If you're a YouTube thumbnail creator, get in touch because uh, I'm still still worried about how that's going to go. Is there anything else you outsourced at the start? Because as you mentioned, that's really just the story of life. That's why athletes have professional chefs. Like all we're trying to do in life is cut out those decisions to make those decisions easier. Hence like meal prep at the beginning of the week for an everyday person, because you want to eat healthy. And the quickest way to do that is to have the healthy food available. The moment you look in the fridge, you can take that decision away from eating anything else. So there's anything else you outsourced when starting legendary upside? Uh, not, not a ton. I, so I used to do a lot of audio uh, editing, podcast editing and stuff. So I'm very comfortable with that. So like editing the premium podcast that I put out and the regular podcast is all pretty like second nature for me. So that I didn't have to outsource that. I actually did kind of build the back end of the site. It's like using a template. I didn't like create, I don't, I don't know how to build real, but like I talked, I talked to JJ Zacharyson who built, he actually built his own site. It's like a legit website that he built because he knows how to build websites so i am jealous of that and maybe eventually i'll outsource some some more slick designs but uh no i didn't really i i have some editing help which has been really really great because i make like probably three stupid errors a post so those those are getting caught now but so far i'm gonna have some help on the best ball rankings that i'm launching post draft so that'll that'll be uh just kind of helping make sure they they never get stale but and yeah, pretty much right now it's me doing everything but but graphical stuff. And I'm glad you mentioned rankings because that is why you are here. Right now, featured on Legendary Upside are your Superflex and Titan Premium Rookie Rankings and Tiers. And I want to dive in immediately on this first tier because Bijan Robinson leads the way as the number one overall player in the first tier. And then the rest of the way three quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud. And let's start at the top here because I don't think it should be necessarily locked in in Superflex leagues that Bijan should go ahead at the 101 of any quarterback, if only because I think you should have context in your roster. Like if you have the 101 because you have no quarterback at all, that's how you got there from the beginning, aging veterans. I do think Anthony Richardson should be on the table at 101 over Bijan. So in your rankings, in your thoughts, are you giving any leeway for different roster builds? Or do you think lockstep Bijan is the 101 in these type of drafts? Even in that scenario, I lean Bijan as the 101 because when you look at the running back landscape, now you are taking some risk by drafting a running back because, you know, Bijan tears his ACL or something and, you know, he loses a lot of value theoretically. Although, Brees Hall just tore his ACL and it still maintains a ton of value. So I think if you look at, if you look at like the overall running back landscape of who people even want to trade for, right? They don't want to trade for, Christian McCaffrey, who's the the top running back in drafts right now in redraft, because he's getting older. They don't want to trade for Saquon Barkley, who's on the one-two turn. They don't want to like Jonathan Taylor feels a little less safe than he used to. Austin Eckler might be his last year of, of major relevance. So, like the top running backs outside of Bijan Robinson, who's going at the one-two turn in redraft, are 
a little scary in dynasty leagues. I think you are potentially in a situation, you know, like Brees Hall, I'm very, very optimistic on coming back from the ACL tear. Everything's been good, but that could be a really bad take. You know, he's, it's an ACL. Like we never know, like things, these things can, can take a long time to recover from sometimes. So even him, you know, heading into 2024, are we feeling that good about Brees Hall? So, yeah, I think that Bijan presents an opportunity to have like the clear cut RB1 next year with like almost like two tiers down to the next running back who you'd even want to trade for. And the ability to at that point move off of him for someone who you feel like is a little bit more locked in than Anthony Richardson or has more of a ceiling than Bryce Young or, or CJ Stroud. So I just think the, the running back landscape, given how safe Bijan Robinson is looking at his profile, I think Davis Maddock was saying he's kind of a meme right now, and the meme players kind of tend to hold their value more. Like we, It's like a weird thing to think through, but in Dynasty, like it's a market-based game, and the market is nuts for Bijan Robinson, so they're not going to completely lose all that enthusiasm after one season. So I think you're probably like if your goal is to get an awesome quarterback for 2024, it still might be Bijan Robinson and you're going to be able to move off him sometime in the next, you know, 18 months for a really good quarterback. Brees Hall, as you mentioned, was the ADP 15 overall in the big board draft before they ended. And although torn ACLs are all different, it matters about the age of the player. It matters about when the ACL was suffered. It matters about the recovery timeline, what kind of ACL. Like, I understand all that, but we do know that historically running backs have averaged 6.1 fewer carries per game and negative and 2.5 fewer yards per attempt following an ACL tear compared to their weekly usage prior to injury. So not something, in my opinion, we still want to bet on at an ADP for Brees Hall in the big board in your, or in the Superflex drafts on underdog right now. And you're seeing that notion hammered on Javante Williams, who, to his point, did have a more extensive torn ACL than Brees Hall. I also want to talk about the quarterbacks here, though, because what we're seeing now is Anthony Richardson as your QB1. And I completely agree, since he is, in my opinion, the, the birth child of Trey Lance and Josh Allen. Uh, uber athletic, but also just 455 career dropbacks at Florida. There's some we're Cam also- Newton in there, I think, maybe, too. True, absolutely, because of the size and the rushing ability. At the same time, though, we're not expecting him to be a, a top two pick, right? We still universally, all sports books, have CJ Stout and Bryce Young in whatever order. And But because of his attributes, I believe, you do have Anthony Richardson as your QB1 overall and these type of rankings. So your thoughts on the those three quarterbacks overall? Yeah, I mean, I don't care if he's a top two pick. Like, I would care if he's going to be a top 10 pick. If he fell out of the top 10, I'd start to get a little more nervous. If he fell out of the top 20, then I'd definitely be more nervous. That's when you start to get to a range of quarterbacks where, like, teams don't feel as committed to them. You know, they can sit them down for years in, like, Jordan Love's case or move on very quickly. Um, So, you know, from Dynasty perspective, you worry there. But you'd also worry in Superflex best ball because it's like, how quickly is he going to see the field? I think as the number three or four overall pick, which seems like the most likely that he'd land in one of those two spots right now, especially if it's the Colts. I mean, if the Colts trade up one spot and grab him or just sit tight and grab him, uh, I mean, he's a top five NFL pick who's got incredible rushing upside and you know, he's got a he's got a big arm. I know everyone talks about the accuracy, which is like legit, not good. But, you know, he he attempts deep passes like I don't care. Do you play in completion percentage leagues? Because I don't <laughs> like I don't think it's going to matter that much if he's out there starting. Uh, and I think with the Colts especially give him a chance to start a lot of games. Uh, I do think you want to be drafting him with the mindset of like he he may not be starting for me very early. But there's guys in these super flex drafts that go late like a Desmond Ritter who Desmond Ritter is going to be starting in the beginning of the season. You know, so if you compare him with Richardson, uh, something like that, I think that's that's pretty effective. Uh, And Richardson as a late season starter with top five NFL draft capital behind him, um, I think he's a very good chance that he would be starting games by the end of the season. Uh, And he's going to give you a lot of upside in the in the money weeks of these tournaments. 
In terms of rushing equity for Richardson, 8.1 carries, 55 and a half yards per game the last two seasons on the ground. Moving on to the second tier, short and sweet. Jackson Smith and Jigba as your wide receiver one, who I still believe is a He's going to be fine, but he's a product of an un underwhelming class at wide receiver, even though the one thing that gives me pause for perhaps breaking out as an elite player is the fact that over the years, not just this offseason, over the years, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jameson Williams, and Marvin Harrison have all been asked who their best teammate they've played with is, and they all say Jackson Smith and Jigba. So that has to tell you something, that players with significantly better profiles than him are also touting his name. But more importantly... Jameer Gibbs, your RB2 overall in this second tier. And I want to get your outlook on Gibbs because not only is your RB2 in this tier, you had the bravado to put him in your rankings a full two tiers ahead of the next running back, Zach Charbonnet, here. Yeah, maybe I should move Charbonnet up a, up a tier. He probably belongs in tier three. Um, We're adjusting the rankings literally live on the fly. I like yeah, it. Yeah, all it took was that that little pushback. I'm going to go, sure, he's in tier three. Because I actually like Charbonnet a lot. I've drafted him a bunch, and I don't feel like – so these are these are for um, – the tiers you're reading off are for uh, Dynasty is is kind of the mind that I have them in. I think for best ball that, you know, you could put – you could argue that Charbonnet really should be in the same tier as Gibbs for, for this year. Because I think with Gibbs, what he gives you, I think – he, he has superstar potential if used enough as a rusher and, you know, ends up with a, you know, a non-mobile quarterback and a team that throws to the running back. If he, if he lands there, like he could be awesome. His, his receiving profile is, is great. He's a really good athlete. He's big enough, 199. Like if he, you know, gets used as the receiver that we know he can be, yeah, he's not Alvin Kamara. He's 15 pounds lighter than Kamara. But, you know, I think you're looking at like, you know, maybe a better version of DeAndre Swift um, or like kind of the version of CJ Spiller that we thought we were going to get. Uh, but it's more receiving instead of, you know, they don't need to give him carries till he pukes, as they famously said they were going to do a Spiller and then didn't. But as long as he gets enough receiving work, I think his upside is really, really awesome. But I do think with Gibbs, the most likely outcome for this year is that he's going to be kind of a committee back. He's going to have like a solid season. And then we're heading into next year going, okay, are we going to get the massive breakout? And and that's what we're betting on. I don't, I don't feel as good about him coming in and like commanding and, you know, a ton of carries and taking over backfield. I think Charbonnet could, you know, if he gets second round draft capital and a team's like, you're the guy, I think he's going to be capable of that. So I've actually taken a lot of Charbonnet in, you know, the eighth, ninth round of the, the big board. Um, because he does, I mean, he, he's he's capable at everything, and the draft capital seems to be there to an extent. You know, I don't think he's going to fall to the fifth round or something. Maybe maybe he goes early fourth, but he's probably a second or third round pick. Uh, and he does kind of have a a really strong like rookie profile. I think. I think he does have a three down profile that is probably better in NFL minds than Jameer Gibbs. That just me. That's just me, though, because Sean Payton, although the Broncos don't have their first pick due to the Russell Wilson trade until the third round, even Payton has like personally mentioned Jameer Gibbs as someone he's very high on. Moving on yeah. to the third tier, though, Will Levis, the QB4, and then Jordan Addison and Quentin Johnson in that order. The three wide receivers we mentioned so far, JSN included, being the favorites to land first-round draft capital on night one. So now we can talk about JSN and Jordan Addison and Quentin Johnson because Addison is still Daniel Jeremiah's number one overall wide receiver, number nine overall, ahead of JSN. But myself... Other fantasy minds, you all have JSN over Addison. So your thoughts on parsing between those three wide receivers? Yeah, I think JSN, you know, he gets dinged as kind of like a slot guy. And he did play like, you know, basically completely out of the slot in college. But he was playing with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. Um, so, you know, I think that probably factored in to an extent. Because it's like, we did this kind of with Justin Jefferson, where it's like, oh, he's playing in the slot. You know, is he going to be, be able to play outside? It's like... Yeah, he's going to be able to play outside. He's really good. I think the same with Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's 196 pounds. So, like, when you talk about Josh Downs, who's 171 pounds and was used on underneath stuff, I am worried that he's just a slot guy. I'm not that worried that Smith and Jigba is just a slot guy. I think 
he might be a slot guy in the same way CeeDee Lamb was in his rookie year. He played over 90% of his snaps in the slot as a rookie. He played over 60% of his snaps in the slot last year, C.D. Lamb. So I think that he can be kind of in that archetype as an NFL player. He probably, I think very likely probably, will play uh, the majority of his snaps in the slot long-term and especially as a rookie. But, you know, I was looking, uh, Hayden Winks had a mock draft out where he had him going to the Patriots. And I think people would freak out if he went to the Patriots because you're looking, you know, it's it's they were so bad last year on offense, but I actually think like him in the Jacoby Myers role would be pretty cool because he's like Myers played a lot in the slot, but he didn't leave the field in two wide receiver sets. He's still playing on the outside. So I think that's the role that I would actually want for Smith and Jigba. And he'd be able to command a lot of volume on an offense like that. I think the, the upside for him is that he's just going to have like an awesome targets per out run. That he's just going to command targets and he's not going to leave the field, even though he's, you know, a slot guy because he's good enough to be out on the field on two wide receiver sets. And I don't know, I, I'm a little more bullish on his profile, I think, than you are. I, I think he has a pretty strong profile. We only got the one season, but it was a hell of a season. The teammate competition is off the charts. We did get new information on those teammates. They're both stars at the NFL level. So the fact that he was like kind of keeping pace with those guys. While you know he was a year younger than Wilson in school and two years earlier in the program than Olave, I think is super impressive. So um, to me, he's just kind of like he's he's the most like can't miss of these guys. And the can't miss guys without ceiling have like really burned us on ceiling recently, right? Garrett Wilson was can't miss, but I don't know if he has a ceiling. Boom, hits and he hits big. Justin Jefferson was the exact same thing. We were like, eh, what's the ceiling really? ceiling is the best wide receiver in the league so i don't like if it if the guys can't miss i'm i'm done questioning the ceiling uh i think and i think he, he's not quite can't miss smith and jigba but he's he's definitely the most can't miss of these three uh addison i have second because again i just feel like i i'm pretty sure he's good he did a lot of things to make me feel like yeah this guy's good he's he's definitely a little i'm a little more concerned with the size with him um, I think he's probably like, you know, maybe going to be like a long-term number two in, you know, the kind of Emmanuel Sanders mold or like the Devonte Smith mold, but Smith is like kind of not a two. He's like a one B, you know, Sanders in his best years were, was like a one B. And I think he's got that, that kind of thing where he's going to be like, if he, if he went to the Vikings, I would feel much better about him on the Vikings being this incredible one B to Jefferson's one A than I would about Smith and Jigba. Like Smith and Jigba, I would just want to go somewhere and have him soak up all the all the targets. Addison, I think, can really operate as a downfield guy who is making an offense better. The and before you dump in dive into Johnston's role and profile, I do think it's interesting that he's basically bizarro JSN. Where like JSN exclusively played from the slot. Uh Quentin Johnston exclusively played from the boundary, uh, even last year, 820 of his 891 snaps, as Josh Norris noted on the underdog show, came at right wide receiver. Not to mention that, like Chase Claypool, right? Like we look at Chase Claypool's size and explosiveness and say, okay, like this guy, he can battle downfield and that's where he's going to do his best. But I remember even going into redraft season last year, the issue that everyone was citing incorrectly is that Chase Claypool can't catch downfield. Like he has a 30% contested catch rate for a reason. Everyone tried to attribute that to Ben Roethlisberger, but then that didn't shed light to Claypool's career problems at an NFL level. And that's my concern with Johnson, honestly. The fact that Pro Football Focus charted him last year with just eight catches on 23 contested catch situations at 6'3", 208. Yes, a 4-5-40 at 6-3-208 is super impressive. That's great for his size. But at the same time, like if you're if you're not doing what your profile suggests at a collegiate level, of course that makes me a little concerned. But yeah. also, we're expecting him to get first-round capital. So curious to get your thoughts on that because that's kind of where I'm at right now whenever I see him in Superflex drafts. I think – so in the big board, I have a lot of Johnston because he was going at a pretty big discount to JSN and – it's like, you know, he's a downfield guy. He he showed off a lot of yak, but on downfield targets, which I really like. That's kind of the Brandon Ayuk thing where it's like you add 
after the catch, but you don't have to be, you know, used on screens and kind of underneath gimmicky stuff. It's like this guy adds on the after the catch, you know, because once he gets going downfield, then he can take it to the house. So I like that a lot with Johnston. I think, you know, spike week upside and best ball for sure. I think in in Dynasty and just, you know, the reason I'm not like all in on him um, and the reason I have him wide receiver three here is that I worry a lot about the contested catch stuff as well. He also had a lot of contested targets. And the worry here is like, does this guy separate downfield? And if he doesn't separate downfield and he he's not good at contested catch situations in college, you know, then he might be pretty bad at it in the pros. And the guys who came up, like he he had kind of similar concerns in the, in the combination of a lot of contested targets and not a good contested catch rate. Guys like that are Denzel Mims and J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and like Terrace Marshall and all these guys who have like busted hard. Um, I think, you know, you can compare him to T. Higgins, who also didn't have a ton. He he also had a lot of contested targets, but but Higgins um, was awesome in contested catch situations, has been awesome in contested catch situations as a pro. I think you would say still like the, the weakness of his game is that he doesn't get like a ton of separation, but it doesn't really matter because he's so good at the catch point. So that's the part that that worries me with with Johnston. But like maybe. Maybe that just means he ends up being more of an intermediate guy and they get him going on like, you know, crossers and stuff and get him up to speed. And then that yak ability comes into play more. I don't know, but he does feel pretty boom bust to me. Uh, and. I don't know. I mean, like in Dynasty, we often want to swing for the fences, and I think it makes sense to in some cases for sure. But like when you hit on a wide receiver, that wide receiver becomes very valuable. Like when you hit on Elijah Moore after his rookie season, everyone forgot that he weighed less than 180 pounds and you know might only be a slot guy. Everyone was like, I'm I'm in, I'm in. This guy looks awesome. And like you're gonna, I think Addison gives you a pretty good sell high window, frankly, after his rookie season. If Johnson struggles as a rookie, like you better hope he's good. In our fourth tier, we have your first tight end, Michael Mayer. Not only tight end one, but 12 spots ahead of the next tight end, Darnell Washington, and a full tier above him in your rankings. So let's discuss the difference in Mayer to Darnell Washington. Basically, what separates Mayer from the others? Production. He's just super productive. Um, even compared to like Cole Komet, who also went to Notre Dame. And, you know, it's been solid. He's just like way more productive. Then commit. And my thing with tight ends is like, I love the athleticism. I think athleticism matters more at tight end than wide receiver. Um, you know, we've, we've generally seen the guys who are uh, going to be also awesome uh, elite tight end producers in fantasy are often very, very good athletes. But sometimes like in case of Mark Andrews, they're just good enough. And then they're they're great receivers because we're looking for this weird thing in fantasy where it's like, we basically want a guy who's playing wide receiver, but at a position that isn't wide receiver. And there's not many of those guys like on the planet. So it's like a tough, it's very tough to find good tight ends, but mayor does give us a profile. He's going to probably get first round draft capital, super productive receiver. And he didn't crush the combine, but he looks athletic enough he's not darnell washington who's just an insane athlete and a giant man but he feels like more you know it's not like as exciting he's kind of more in like the jason witten mold or like the greg olson mold or the zach Ertz mold you know or the mark andrews mold i'm talking about michael mayer like those guys you know they're they're good enough in terms of their athleticism but they're like legit receivers um that's the way mayor profiles to me Washington, I think, is more like Jelani Woods or something where it's pretty enticing. And then you see Woods out there last year and you're like, yeah, this could be really fun if he if he gets like all the snaps. He could be really fun for fantasy. But you have to take this leap of faith that a team will even use him as a receiver because he didn't really get used much as a receiver in college. Washington, a 4'6", 440, and 16.2 collegiate yards per catch at 6'7", 264. Just an absolute wagon. Yeah. Also, rounding out your fourth tier, three receivers, Zay Flowers, Jalen Hyatt, and Josh Downs. As Dave, 
good fan of 4 for 4, mentions in the chat. Matt Harmon, also fan of 4 for 4, friend of the show, said that Josh Downs is at the top of contested catches. And yes, last year, Josh Downs did catch 13 of 18 contested catch situations. So plays much bigger than his size suggests. And that's kind of the analogy for these three players in Flowers and Hyatt because all of them do one thing really well, but they lack severely at other uh, situations in their profile. So go ahead and dive into these three players too. Yeah, so Downs and Hyatt have pretty similar like concerns at the high level, which is that they both were slot guys. Um, but for Downs, my concern is that he might just be I like I think Downs is playing in the slot as a pro. I don't know about Hyatt. I think he might have to go to the outside. For Downs, I'm just worried it's going to be kind of underneath stuff. He was used on kind of a lot of gadgety stuff, you know, like screens, really short passes, um, didn't have a ton of uh, yards after catch on deep throws. So, and he's really small, 171 pounds. And he was used like completely out of the slot. That to me is like a pretty concerning profile when you think about upside, because I do care about guys being slot receivers if it means they're only out there for 75% of the routes. That just, that just completely caps your upside. So, like, you know, I made the argument with JSN, who cares? Because I think at 196, given his pedigree, he's going to play on the outside in two wide receiver sets. I don't feel that about Downs. I don't think he's out there in two wide receiver sets, most likely. And then it's like, what have you really, what are you really getting? Um, it's been interesting that he's he's going ahead. Um, his ADP is higher in underdog drafts than he is in FFPC drafts, which is, you know, half point PPR versus full point PPR. That makes no sense to me. I think Downs is a, a full point PPR play. That's, you know, I think it, pretty clearly that kind of archetype. Hyatt is tough because he played uh, in the slot, but he ran a ton of go routes. And he's also small. And he's probably going to be playing on the outside in most systems. And he didn't really do that at all. And he's also not like, that fast like he's not like Tyquan Thornton you know sub 4 340 ran a 4 440 which is obviously fast but like he's not going to just completely blow by corners so I'm like what is has he really shown us that he can do the thing he's going to be asked to do which is play outside you know and be be actually beat corners because you're, you're playing in the slot right like there's like like he just ran he, he's like free release like just running downfield straight I don't know you have to step back and really, as you said, ask yourself, how often are the deep threats in an NFL offense coming from the slot, right? How often do they send the slot route on a on a go route? And then also, yeah. you have to say, why did Jalen Hyatt, Hyatt wait until Cedric Tillman went down to break out? So he had to remove someone else from a collegiate offense for Hyatt to basically do anything. And then also, yes, Hyatt does offer value in best ball, in my opinion. And again, these are... Tight end premium, super flex, dynasty rankings. But I also think everyone is doing themselves a disservice in life in general if they don't take in any kind of information and then ask yourself, how else do I use this in what I do? And so I take this and say, oh, well, like these players are value because this is like dynasty ADP, thus their values in super flex drafts on FFPC and underdog. And for Hyatt, I'll still take him in a best ball draft because, in my opinion, you're never going to get the, the redraft start right. You're never going to start him correctly because he's going to be a Nelson Aguilar, boomer bust type of player. Yeah, and I think that's right. And but and the other reason to take him, and I've taken him in best ball too, is that what if he goes to the Bills? If he sure. goes to the Bills, I'm in. Because he might run out of the slot. And he's he, gonna, does, <laughs> he does kind of profiles Deontay Hardy too. So like it'd make a lot of sense if he goes to the Bills. Yeah. So I'm in if he goes to the Bills. Because I think like, you know, he's a he's a, an early declare. He broke out in his third season, his true junior season. Like that is a high upside profile, even though he is undersized. Like, could he be like, you know, Will Fuller, but you know, he's getting a couple years to develop out of the slot. You know, eventually maybe he is playing more on the outside in year two or three. But as a rookie, they're like, yeah, we're, we're running four wide. Josh Allen's going to hit you deep, run as fast as you can. And it's like a ton of fun. I could totally see that. I think, you know, if he goes to the Chiefs, obviously we'd get Mahomes, but I think they're very creative. You know, they if he goes to one of these teams that's like, we're a little bit worried about, like if he goes to the Cowboys, 
I'm, I think he's done. Like right there. Like I'm like, nope, it's it. I'm sorry it didn't happen. But they're going to just slot him in. Like you play this position. Here's your route tree. You're going to do it every time. You know, I don't want that for Hyatt where he's just like kind of a classic outside wide receiver. I think he's got a very low floor in those types of situations. Speaking of parsing through information and getting the most out of life, the fifth tier is really what I consider to be your running back tier. The fifth of six tiers, I should say. And it starts at the top with Israel Abinaconda. And then we go to Tank Bigsby, Kendry Miller, Devin A-Chain, Sean Tucker, Tajay Spears, Roshan Johnson in that order. So let's start at the top with Abinaconda because I'm curious what separates him from the rest of this bunch in your mind since that's not the consensus opinion. Yeah, so to me it's like, there's a big group of running backs after Charbonnet in this in this class. And Absolutely. I think we're all trying to figure out how do we parse these guys from one another? What differentiates them? And I think in a lot of cases, we've been saying like basically buzz, you know, senior bowl buzz, I think has helped put uh, push Tajay Spears up. Um, draft capital is why, you know, I think Devin Achain has, has been kind of ahead of the group generally. And I think those are as good of reasons as any. But Abanacanda just crushed his pro day. And now, according to relative athletic scores, is the most athletic running back in this class. I mean, that's that's on my radar. And I'm hopeful that it's going to boost him up a bunch of NFL draft boards. I think it should. He's also 20 years old. He doesn't turn 21 until October. So he has this profile where, like, in as a freshman, not that great. Didn't do much. As a sophomore, didn't do a ton. But he was 17 years old for the first three games. He played six games of freshman. He was 17 years old for half of them. I mean, the guy's crazy young. And then, you know, in his 19-slash-20 season, has an incredible year and shows off this really strong breakaway potential. So he's kind of this – that's like – if you're betting on him, you're it's kind of like a Raheem Mostert type of, type of player where you're hoping, you know, he goes to a, a system. I think it'd be awesome and, like, um, you know, I don't know – I'm not a film guy, so I don't know maybe if he's got the the decision-making or whatever to like really crush in a Shanahan system. But when I see him get up to speed, I'm like, that seems fun in a one-cut system. Um, the other thing that I like about him is he's 216, and he showed sufficient pass-catching ability. He actually had a higher yards per route run over his career than Zach Charbonnet. He had, uh, he, he's higher than Tank Bigsby. He's higher than Roshan Johnson. These are guys that we look at and we're like, you can be a three-down guy if a team gives you the chance to be. And I think Abanacanda is in that same mold, but he's the most athletic. I mean, he's much more athletic than Bigsby. Um, you know, we don't know about Kendra Miller's athleticism yet, but, you know, I think Abanacanda is probably more athletic than him, more athletic than Charbonnet. He's more athletic than everybody because, you know, he's the most athletic running back in the class. He's slightly more athletic than Bijan Robinson, and, and he's one pound heavier. So, I don't know, I guess... We'll have to see if NFL teams really buy in to the pro day numbers because, you know, previously he'd been seen kind of as like maybe a fourth or fifth round type. But when you when you have a workout that that good, it feels to me like he really should be moving into like the third round conversation. And as a third round pick, I like him a lot more than Devin A-Chain. You know, I like I like Bandicanda a lot more than A-Chain, even if he goes around later as long as it's second and third round, as long as we get that sufficient draft capital for a band of Canada, because a chain's 188 pounds and he's not like a, an amazing receiver the way that, that Jameer Gibbs is. He's a competent receiver. He's a better receiver, you know, in terms of his efficiency than a band of Canada, but not like that much better. And it's like, how much is this guy even going to be on the field? So I've just gotten to the point where I, at first I was like, you know what? I'm betting on the draft capital. I'm taking a chain. You know, this is a pretty big discount to get on a guy who could be a second round pick. But now I'm starting to feel like, you know what? I'm confident enough in Abanacanda and Bigsby and Miller that these guys can be really, really good if a team gives them enough touches. And they profile pretty similarly to Zach Charbonnet in that way. That it's like if a team just decides, yeah, this this is working, uh, they can probably do everything. Now they could be like Chuba Hubbard types who are basically like really competent backups, you know, but I just, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm starting to struggle to see like what a chain's ceiling is, especially as a rookie. One, let the record show and you can check my Google history. 
I did do my job as a professional analyst and Google how to pronounce Israel Abanakanda before the show. Having said that, the Google voice also told me Abanakanda. So if I have it incorrect, that's fine. I should have gone to chat GPT and give it more information to eventually enslave us. Well, also, here's, here's what you do. So I'm yeah. a big guy. Go watch the highlights. I don't watch the film. The silent film that gives you... Listen, if you watch the highlights, if you watch Just Bomb, Produ Just Bomb Productions, sick edits, go to YouTube, watch the highlights. You get the announcer in your ear. That's why. Because like, I am I am a big, like, take pride in my job, look up the name pronouncing beforehand. I, I might enunciate, I might even say that wrong, uh, a lot of other words. But names, I at least try to get correct all the time. But uh, I blame Google for that one. Also, <laughs> I'm curious, since you already discussed the plummeting of A-Chain in your rankings, where did you have them before? Just ahead of those three, um, Bigsby, Kendry Miller, and Israel, or in another tier ahead of them? I had the... I can't remember now. I may have had him in another. I don't think I had him in another tier, but I had him ahead at of, first of glance, all of them. At first glance, it is sexy. Like we not only got the elite 99th percentile 40 time at his size, but 21 rushing touchdowns in the SEC the last two years to go with 2.7 catches per game. So uh, I, I too, when you first look at it, say, okay, like this player, especially if we somehow get some sneaky like round three capital in the right system, of course can explode for ceiling performances. Yeah, and I think in a good, like in a smart offense, he can be, he can be pretty interesting for sure. The issue that I started, the more I dug in, was actually the receiving that got me really nervous because I think he kind of profiles more like a Tevin Coleman than you know one of these guys who's gonna who's gonna come in and you know be awesome in a part time role like an Aaron Jones or something. Like I think he's more he's more like a complimentary speed back than a natural third down specialist who then kind of takes over more and more of the backfield. Uh, not that he's a bad receiver. He's not, but he's not an off the charts, good receiver. And so and what he does really well is, is breakaway rushing. He's more like Tyler Irvin or something, you know, where he's like this incredible kick returner as well. But, you know, he's like a get him up to speed as a rusher type of guy, at least in college. Now, you know, he, he was a competent receiver and it's, it's certainly possible that he ends up being an awesome NFL receiver but I started to just like get you know like Tevin Coleman had some pretty good weeks for sure and some okay seasons I think that it's not a terrible outcome but I just wanted to I think like at a certain point like I just want to swing for the fences a little bit more in this range of the draft um, and go for guys who you could like hit a home run with because these picks aren't that valuable in in dynasty and they're not that valuable in best ball either and, you know, Bigsby, Miller, Abanacanda, they could all go in the third round, not probably all together go, but they all have good chances of going in the third round. And as third round picks, they all have three down potential. They all have like enough receiving. They're all big enough where you could just see them be a guy, be like the lead back for one of these teams. You're going to hit kind of a, a seventh, eighth round best ball value in in like the 16th round uh that's like really enticing to me i i think a chain you're gonna get more of like a 10th or 11th round value in the 15th which is fine but it just it's not quite as exciting and more importantly if we both are projecting this group of running backs to potentially go in the third fourth round again speaking on extrapolating extrapolating information uh, Kendry Miller continues to go in the last two rounds in dr of drafts on underdog right now, which is absolutely insane considering you can get him for an RB, your RB six or seven, uh, four to five rounds behind the others that we're expecting to have the same draft capital. So something to keep in mind as you're drafting out there. Also in this tier, though, is where the tight end rankings come into play. And I want to get your thoughts on the two below Darnell Washington, since we already talked about him, and Sam Laporta and Dalton Kincaid. And in particular, Kincaid, since it's him who's arguably expected to have better capital than any other tight end in this class since he recently landed as Daniel Jeremiah's not only tight end one, but the number 11 overall player in this draft. Kincaid? Yeah. Yeah, Kincaid's really old. And so I'm just like, I think maybe I'm a little too low on Kincaid, but I, I'm like a big fan of Sam Laporta. I think Sam Laporta is... Uh, really strong, you know, he's really strong after the catch. And he, I think, flashed that kind of, I'm looking at tight end. I want to see like 
what do you do like as a receiver, right? So Mayer, very, very productive, um, which obviously I'm like, okay, you just have like a lot of good receiving skills to be able to do that. Uh, Darnell Washington, massive human being, you know, going to be able to catch a lot of touchdowns, hopefully. Sam Laporta has uh, the ability to to win after the catch in a way that I think is potentially special at the tight end position. And so that, that just kind of keeps me a little higher on him than Kincaid, even with the draft capital discrepancy, because Laporta's, I, he, people seem to like him. So I don't think he's going to go to, you know, in the fifth or the sixth round, more like probably the, the second to the fourth range. And, you know, with that kind of draft capital, I'm, I'm pretty in draft capital's not, it hasn't been as important at the tight end position when we're looking at guys emerging as superstars and like at tight ends were like, who cares if they don't? Cause it's basically, cause then just draft Taysom Hill, you know, like most of these non-superstars don't really do much for you anyway. So, um, I just, I'm, it's more about me being really high on, uh, Sam Laporta and his potential after the catch than being low on Dalton Kincaid. But if, you know, the reason I'm not quite as excited is it comes down to age. And, you know, he was he was okay in terms of his like receiving profile for sure, but he doesn't like he has a 10 10.6 career A dot. Um in his his really strong 2022, he had an 8.7 A dot. So I'm like, I'm worried maybe he's just more of a kind of a classic like underneath tight end outlet guy. And that's just never as exciting to me. You know, it's like kind of a Trey McBridey type of situation, maybe. So Laporta makes me higher on Kirk Ferentz since like his tight ends coaching tree at Iowa is basically a Belichickian coaching tree since we yeah. have George Kittle and then TG Hawkinson and now Laporta, who, as you said, is an uh, elite athlete. Yeah, and so get him to the Seahawks so he can fix Noah Fant. We need we need the <laughs> finish developing Noah Fant. And finally, your tier six includes a long group of names. I urge everyone to go check out the rankings and read them themselves at Legendary Upside. But are there one or two among this group who stand out as players that you have confidence in that could perhaps deliver, even if it's just a couple starts, actual like value for us in year one as rookies? Yeah, at the very end, I'd say, I mean, Dwayne McBride, I'm going to have him as kind Absolutely. of... Absolutely. Last round pick in every single draft, and it's crazy. Yeah, it, it really is crazy, because he's... Uh, before the, before we started, we were talking about him a little bit, um, and you know, you were saying, like, he is not going to pop for any of, our, of the numbers, guys, because he... This is not an exaggeration. He had five career catches in college, okay? He played 30 games. He had 30, 30 games... He had five career catches. So, but that, you know, you don't need to actually use anything advanced. You know, that's a pretty, that's a simple stat. I think that's going to resonate with everybody. You don't need to be diving too, too into the numbers to go, oh, I don't like that. What I think the advanced numbers do show, though, is that as a rusher, he was awesome. He was really strong. The, the one reservation that I have with McBride, the biggest reservation I have, actually, it wouldn't, I would say, be the receiving. It's it's the athleticism. Because when you watch the highlights, and I do I do recommend watching the highlights, you know, you you you, you get the you get the announcers, you get some cool music. You know, you don't get any cool music when you're all 22. You just don't get that. But when you watch the highlights, you see him track down from behind frequently. These are the highlights, these are the best plays he's got. He's getting tackled from behind like a lot. So I'm I'm a little worried he's like Kadeem Carey, you know, it's and like that's important, too, because the reason, in my opinion, Kendry Miller and Dwayne McBride are seeing their values plummet or solely because they got injured late in the year and thus yeah. were not available to test. And so if they can't test, you would think, OK, and McBride leading this class in 10 plus yard runs last year in his final season in college, you would say, OK, he's an explosive, fast player. But then you watch the tape and he's getting caught from behind. You're thinking, oh, well, actually, if we had tested, maybe his stock goes even lower, honestly. Yeah, that's the concern. Like, but I, I think at a four, six, five or like, a, I mean, a four, six, I am psyched about Dwayne McBride because I don't think you need he's not fast. At, his top speed sucks. But how? How bad does it suck? That's the question. Because if it's four seven plus, he's not an NFL player. But if he's four six five, he is. And his acceleration, I think, very clearly is very good. 
right? So the type of guy you're getting, it's Damian Pierce. That's who we're hoping he is. We're hoping he's Damian Pierce as a and but a worse receiver. Um, but like Damian Pierce's acceleration is awesome and he makes people miss at will. That's what McBride did in college. He made people miss at will his elusiveness, crazy good. Uh, like you, I mean, the stat you just pointed to shows burst. I think there's no real question that he has that initial burst. It's like, is his long speed basically anywhere near where it needs to be for an NFL team to to lean on him at all? Gus Edwards is another type of guy, archetype-wise, I think you can think about. But like Gus Edwards is actually pretty fun as a rookie. Eventually, you know, he gets replaced as the lead back. But like in the last round of best ball drafts, McBride, I think, makes a ton of sense, especially in half-point PPR. I mean, this guy, he, he's you know, potentially like racking up chunk gains, right? He's not taking stuff to the house very much, maybe never, but he's going to, you know, potentially rack up a lot of like 10, 15 yard runs. And I think he'll also be pretty good around the goal line. So if he goes to a depth chart that that really needs a bigger back, I think he's could be really fun. Again, you do have to, I don't think you want to go all in because like he, he might not just be an NFL guy with the speed. The police are coming for your takes. And I am curious to get your thoughts on, because I know you were about to mention someone else who could perhaps deliver value in year one as a very late round selection in both Dynasty and Best Ball Drafts ongoing. Wait, sorry, who? Uh, I thought you were about to mention someone else, a second player from this tier six. Oh, so the guy, so this is, let me go up one, let me cheat and go up one more tier and just talk about Marvin Mims, um, who's in tier five. And I think uh, he's, He's someone uh, that Scott Baird actually just had a thread on him, really hyping him up. So maybe you'll start to see him move up a bit in drafts. But he's he's been someone I've been taking a lot uh, late in drafts. Zach Kruger's actually been on him like since before he tested and at the combine. He, we did like a a really early best ball draft together. He got us on him in like the last round. I think it's the the water at NBC and Stanford because also. Uh, uh, oh, name slip. Very good friend. His name slips my mind now. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, was on the show, NBC Sports College, Eric Froton. Sorry, Froton. Oh, Froton. Froton. He was Froton's on the show. Yeah, nice. Eric Froton. He was texting me all weekend at WrestleMania, too. Sorry, Froton, about that. Yeah, Froton also very high on Marvin Mims as well. All right, there you go. I mean, so he's like, he's a guy that if you look at a 30% breakout threshold, you know, for um, breakout age, never broke out. But he got like pretty close and he did it one year where he got above 30% in yards and then another year where he got over 30% in touchdowns. So he like did the things. He just never put them together. You want to see, you know, an average of those two stats over 30% is technically the 30% breakout. But like he was super productive, not super productive. He was solidly productive over the course of his entire career. He was efficient. He's sufficiently, I think he's got enough size. He's 183 pounds where he can play on the outside and he's pretty fast sub four, four forty, And he was awesome downfield in college. So it's like, he has a thing he does. You know, I think an NFL team, they're going to be bringing, bringing him in to be a downfield threat for them. Again, kind of the best ball archetype. I also think that there's a chance he's like a second or third round pick. I mean, I'm really hoping he's a third round pick. There's a chance that he goes into the second round. Um, I've seen, you know, a little bit of that. He seems more likely to be a third round pick. The concern with him would be that I'm completely off on that and he falls to the fourth round. And draft capital is so important at wide receiver. I think it's way more important than at running back and at tight end. It's just a lot harder for guys to emerge out of, you know, round four or five. We've seen it with Amon Ross St. Brown, Stefan Diggs. You do see it, but it's not all that common, uh, much more common at, at running back. So, the draft capital makes him a little tougher to be like completely in on, but he's one of these guys where if he was, um, I'm not quite as high on him as Scott, who was saying like he would basically be, you know, I think his wide receiver his clear cut wide receiver two or something with, with sufficient draft capital, but it's like a first round pick. He is in the mix with the other wide receivers in the class for me. I, I think I probably still have him behind like Addison, but I might have him ahead of Johnston if he was a first round pick. Uh, now he won't be a first round pick. But it's like that kind of profile on paper that like I'm I'm like just hoping the NFL likes him a little bit more than they seem to right now because he does does have, I think, a really strong profile. 
A lot of wise people on Marvin Mims ahead of the NFL draft. Corrine, tell everyone what else they can find on the new site. Yeah, so uh, I just had a post on Izzy Abanacanda and the other uh, six running backs who I have in that big tier that we talked about that are basically kind of second round rookie picks, uh, those types of guys. I'm working on a wide receiver article that'll uh, have Mims as the as the, the cover boy there. Uh, if you are the type of person who prefers to listen to things, I also have, if you sign up, there's a premium podcast feed where I narrate these posts and I read them, you know, as I, you know, I throw a little emphasis in there. It's fun. It's fun. Listen. So, uh, that's kind of how I am. I, I really prefer to, uh, listen to things. Like I listen to Gretch's stealing signals. I, I listen to a robot lady, read me that as I read along. That's just how I am. I'm very audio focused. So if you're like that, uh, recommend, signing up, getting the premium podcast feed going. Um, and then I also have a regular podcast. I'm going to have Travis May on that Legendary Upside podcast. You can find that wherever wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, I'll have Travis May from Mojo on this week. We're going to be doing some deep dives into the prospects there. And I think we're going to get a lot into Anthony Richardson because Travis is uh, pretty concerned about his accuracy. So we'll have a, maybe a little debate about him. I am a subscriber, and I suggest everyone become one as well. We will be back next week with more information. Until then, everything, remember, free on the site. We have best ball rookie roundtables going on at the site as well. So until next week, until then, remember, be a little bit kind of the worst We'll see you next week.